Alright, good morning again. Uh, reality for me is that it's literally a few minutes later after the first sermon uh, from last week. But if you weren't able to join um, Trinity for that service, uh, let me just introduce myself. I'm Greg Unruh. I'm the pastor of Banff Park Church just down the road. Uh, so a sister church of uh, Trinity. Uh, so Sean and I have uh, gotten to know each other a little bit. We've lived here for about a year and a half now. And, uh, and it's pleasure he asked uh, if I'd be willing to, to preach a, a couple of sermons here before you through James while he's on holidays and it was uh, just it's my pleasure to do that uh, very very excited to be able to do that with you again today so let me give you just a little bit of what we talked about last week and then and then jump into this week so last week we looked about this idea of uh, faith without works is dead this two-sided uh, or two sides of the same coin, faith and works, that we're saved only by faith and grace alone. But when we are saved, our life radically changes and works become evidence of that. They become the fruit of that. Uh, one of my friends once said it this way. When you look at somebody uh, and, and people would be like, oh, I wonder if they're a Christian, he would just say, well, do they look like Jesus or do they not? And that's kind of a kind of a very... Succinct way of putting it. Uh, so that's that was a, that was a difficult text because there appear to be some contradictions between some of the Pauline writings uh, to to what James says, but we kind of dealt with that and showed how they're not contradictory at all, but they're two sides of that same issue. This morning's text here in chapter three of James, this is a hard text, not because it's uh, theologically demanding or or intellectually challenging. It's that it's very practical, and it, it's, it feels like a shot right between the eyes at me when I read this, is this is very practical, very real, and it's an area that I certainly struggle with and have struggled with throughout my life, and, uh, and I'm sure that as we read this that many of you will be able to relate to this. Just before we read chapter 3, this ties back a little bit to something in, in chapter 119 where James writes this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, I have this little uh, carved African statue that says, uh, listen, think, speak. And I need that reminder uh, probably way more than most of you listening, um, but I'm sure some of you can relate to that. Is uh, We need to be reminded that often the best thing we can do is just listen, is just be there. Reminded of the book of Job, uh, how after Job goes through this crisis, he has friends that come and surround him. And at the beginning, all they do is just sit and mourn with him, sit and cry with him. And as soon as they open their mouths, it all goes downhill. And, and I think so often that's true of us. And James is going to talk about this idea of the tongue and how dangerous it is and, and how we need to guard it. So let's, uh, let's read this together, the first 12 verses of chapter 3. Uh, again, I got my timer down there. Um, so normally uh, what we've been doing during COVID is uh, my wife is excellent at editing and splicing in different clips and different things and so if I go over it's no problem uh, but the uh, unfortunate thing uh, now is uh, 
it's good, it's really good, is she was able to have uh, a surgery that she's been waiting for for a long time. Uh, the challenge uh, now is that I'm inept when it comes to some of these things. So this camera allows me 30 minutes of recording at this quality, so that's what we get. So I'm going to do my best again to get through this. So let's read this. Chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by the tongue, but no human being can tame the tongue. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. That was bad. Let's go, sorry, back to verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth? From the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. Sorry about the little mix-up there. I said the exact wrong thing because I was just thinking about what was coming next. The tongue, right? It's, it's uh, man, how many times have we been caught saying something? that we regret, and then realizing the price that we've had to pay for that. Or trying to back out of it and say, well, I didn't mean what I said. You know, I learned really quickly on in my marriage that uh, you can't just spout off in anger and say, well, I didn't mean that. I was just angry at the time. Because it doesn't take back what you said. You still said it. It still hurt that person. The tongue is so powerful and it can do so much damage. And it's something that we need to be aware of. What's interesting to me about this text is that he starts it, <coughs> excuse me, he starts it directing this at those who want to be teachers. So not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is one of the verses that I just, in the scriptures, oh, I just wish it wasn't there. I know that God has called me into ministry. I know God has called me to preach and to proclaim his word. And then I read verses like this and I go, oh boy, that, that means that I have responsibility to study the text, to study hard and diligently and to, and to know what it says and to be able to present what it says clearly. Sometimes I do that better than others. 
but I need that reminder sometimes. And if you're a teacher, maybe you need that reminder sometimes. But he's warning also says, not many of you should become teachers. It's an interesting uh, beginning to this. Um, now let me just say this, first of all, is, is I'm not, and he's not just talking to pastors here. Um, I think parents, the, the longer that I've been a parent, you hold more influence in any one person's life than that of your child or your multiple or of your children. Um, and it's incredible. You are their teacher. And so you need to be careful and you need to be very aware that what God is calling you to do and, and doing it well and being obedient to him. And so if you aren't a teacher or you don't even want to be a teacher, is recognize that I think all of us at some point in some way have influence over our friends, our peers, our family, whatever it might be. And so, so don't just ignore this and pretend that he's not talking to you. Now here's something that's interesting. Uh, you probably know this. Social media is, uh, man, it has a lot of positive things about it. And it's got some just awful things about it. One of the things that's come out of social media that's really negative is that we're all experts at everything. Do you know what I mean? Um, we're willing to fight over anything because we Googled it and we read about something and we're convinced that someone else has a different opinion and we try to fight with them about it to show them our way. Maybe if you're a more passive person or, or a peacemaking type person, maybe uh, you don't actively do that, but we've all seen it. We've all watched explosions online of people that are self-proclaimed experts. They might not even call themselves that, but the way that they're speaking uh, says that that's what they think. The question is, why, why do we feel the need to do that? Why do we feel compelled to compete with someone in that way? Biblical scholars explain that in this text that these people were trying to get to the status of being a teacher because it brought prestige to them. They wanted others to see them and go, wow, look at them. They weren't concerned about their own spiritual maturity. They were concerned with how other people viewed them. So let me ask this question in roughly 2,000 years here. What's changed? Not a lot, I would argue, in that regard. Is people still are very concerned with what others think. And see, the reality is, and, and this is something that James is going to deal with, uh, and, and much of Scripture deals with this, our identity is found in Christ, not in what we do. Our identity is found in Him. And so it doesn't matter what man says. What can man do to me? That's, that's what Paul would say, anyway. Jesus says this in, in Matthew 23. He says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. They preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Again, it's not very different to today. Because we want to be viewed that way. We want the prestige. We want the recognition. We want the affirmation. 
But really that's just our own insecurities and that's our sin nature talking. And usually when we get in an argument on social media about something, you know, just maybe spoiler alert, I don't think you ever win an argument on social media. I don't think that's an effective way to use your time. Um, but usually those things come from our own insecurities and so we fight in a forum where we don't actually have to be there. James says, you shouldn't be teachers because you aren't prepared for what it brings with it. You're not concerned about your own spiritual growth. You're concerned about your image. Um, as maybe if you're a little bit nerdy, um, I really like the Marvel movies, the Avengers movies kind of thing. And I remember from the old Spider-Man comics, they used to say, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, let me just say this is right, right away here. Uh, right? So we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. I find that just, uh, just really, really interesting. That he would say, it comes from here. That little bit of your tongue, which, I mean, obviously that comes from the heart, right? And there's a, there's a Jewish kind of understanding of that, but that's neither here nor there at this point in time. But that this little bit of us controls everything else. Uh, it's really, really interesting. And I think why James is saying this and why he makes such a bold statement is because teachers have the greatest ability to do the most damage. That's what one commentator said that I read this week. Or I shouldn't say this week, in my notes that I read this week. Teachers have the greatest ability to do the most damage. I've seen that to be true where, where people um, just follow after a certain teacher, man, they really like that book and they'll just start to believe anything that that person says because maybe they're, maybe they're just really charismatic, maybe they're really uh, articulate in how they communicate or whatever, whatever the case might be. But I'm going to say this, and I think Sean will be okay with this, is don't just believe what Sean, or in this case what I'm saying, uh, but don't believe what Sean just says every Sunday just because he's Sean. Believe it because it's what the Word of God says. And if any pastor contradicts what the Word of God says, then we need to be aware of that, and we need to call them out on that. That doesn't mean be rude and, and aggressive and and condescending. That means just having a meeting and asking about Scripture and, and clarifying a few things. Is I'm not above reproach. We all stumble in many ways. I'm not always right. right? Like we always think we're right. That's why we do and say the things that we do, because we think we're right. But the reality is it's that we're not all the time. And so teachers especially need to be careful. I've watched so many teachers that start so good and write great books, and then all of a sudden they get sidetracked down some pretty serious rabbit trails. And all of a sudden their theologies and their understandings of Scripture just start to go real, real sideways, and they have so much potential damage that can be done with that. I don't want to name names of, of anybody at this point, um, but I would encourage you to probably sit down with Sean and, and when you're reading through a, a good book, um, a good Christian book, and ask, like, is this, is this solid? And have conversation about that. So James, his point here is that words are incredibly powerful. Let me just prove this to you from a few passages. Uh, these all come from Proverbs just because Proverbs is the wisdom literature, right? It's really interesting. There is one, this is Proverbs 12, 8, 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like 
sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 10, 19, sin is not, is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 15, 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a, pers but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. So there's an expression that you've probably all heard, right? Uh, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I hope you don't believe that, because we know it's not true. It's something we say to try and make ourselves feel tough, but man, words can do some of the most damage ever. If you grow up as a child in a, in a home without love, and you're constantly berated, that can do damage well, well into your adult years. If you're married to a verbally abusive spouse, that can really do damage to you. you got to stop pretending that words don't matter. Words do matter, and the scripture tells us this. It gives this example. A horse can be uh, controlled by just that little bit, or, or a boat guided by a small rudder, or even, even a forest fire. It actually started with just one little spark. He even says this, and this is really interesting to me, he says that every and any creature on the earth can be controlled and has been controlled. So, uh, my son is from South Africa, so uh, anything to do with like lions, I'm really interested in. Uh, when we were down in South Africa, we had quite a few experiences with lions, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Well, if you ever go on YouTube and look up the name uh, Kevin Richardson and what he's doing with lions and hyenas in South Africa, it's shocking. He's bas they're basically his like teddy bears, and it's amazing to watch, and I'm not suggesting you do this by no means. Um, Lions are wild animals, and hyenas are wild animals. But it's amazing to see James's point here is that there is a way. There is a way where we can control all of these things. You know, maybe I'm not going to go control lions, but all creatures have been tamed. And yet, as dangerous as the lion is, as dangerous as the hyena is, they've been able to be controlled, but your tongue can't be. The tongue... Now let me say it this way. The uh, our tongue is a reality of our hearts. We need to learn how to control our tongue by submitting to Christ. Jesus says it this way in Luke 6. No, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That's basically what James says at the end of this section here. If you cannot control your mouth, it's your heart that needs work. Why do we say things that cut people down? Like I said, I think it's usually from a place of our own insecurity about things in our own lives. And we don't want to build others up, we want to build ourselves up. And so we're quick to cut others down in trying to build ourselves up. The Christian way would be to only build others up. Not worry about yourself because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people think about me. What matters is what God thinks about me. And let me tell you this. God sent Jesus Christ to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins because he loves creator of the universe is the one 
who sent his son so that you would know love. So what can man do? What can man give you that God hasn't already? Nothing. Very simple. Sorry if you can hear that. Somebody is phoning my phone. It's vibrating like crazy. I forgot to turn it down. Sorry if that's distracting to you. So, how does this play out in a practical sense? Uh, let me use a sports metaphor for you. Am I saying that this means that next time you're at a hockey game, when you're playing, you know, when the ice opens up again here, um, that you have to lose because you shouldn't try and beat other people. That's not what I'm saying uh, at all. So I'm a goalie. I hate getting scored on. Hate it, right? It's like, I, I'm much better now than I used to be. But I, I'm competitive by nature. But it's not because I want to run the other person down. It's only because I want to do well at something. And I think competition can be very good. But only if our value is not based in that competition. At the end of the hockey game, if I've lost 10 to 1 played terrible, if I think less of my own value, then my value is not placed in being a child of the king. My value is placed on what other people see in me, and that's the problem. And so it's okay to try and you know, win a sport. It's okay to try and play hard. It's okay to try and be competitive, but only when you're not trying to run others down to build yourself up because then you've misunderstood. Again, your value comes not from what you do, but in who you are. You're a child of the king. Let me give you another real simple analogy. If you're the fastest man, if you're the next Usain Bolt, fastest man on earth, and you've been doing your races and, and nobody can beat you, and it's just incredible, and, and you've got all the world records, whatever, you know, Whatever you want to say. And all of a sudden you're in a car accident and you have to have one of your legs amputated. And your whole value and your whole identity is placed in I am the fastest man in the world. Then what happens next? Everything is stripped and taken from you in that moment. Now change it. If you're the world's fastest man but your identity is not found in that. And you don't find your satisfaction in those things. But you find your satisfaction in Jesus because you're a child of the king. Then when you're in that car accident and you lose your leg. Now... What you do for a living changes, but who you are and your identity and your value, it doesn't change. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. I am a child of the king. As I said before, Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? The world, this is just simply put, the world cannot compete with what God can give us. Can't. If I understand the gospel correctly, if I understand how desperately wicked my heart is, then I'll start to understand the grace of God. And I don't need to fight back against other people. I don't need to speak ill of them. I don't need to bring them down to bring myself up. Why? Because God is enough. I don't need anything else. I only need God. James closes here by using the example of uh, the water. Fresh spring and a, and a salt spring. Now this is a, probably more apt for them in their culture. Um, one commentator I read said this, uh, the fresh spring is a source of life for a dry Palestinian culture. They would have really understood the need of that fresh water. We just walk to our taps, turn it on. And that's, we're so 
Uh, we're so lucky, so fortunate uh, where we live that we don't have to think about these things, but they would have understood this, is if salt comes out of that same spring water, then their whole source of life is gone because salt water can't sustain. Can't. The whole thing is polluted. So again, your tongue, the way that you treat others, the way that you talk about other people, the way that you speak, you can tear them down and try and build yourself up, but you don't really accomplish that. Or you can build others up and just look to Christ, look to God for your worth, your value, your identity. What do you get? And you are reminded that you're a child of the king and what you've done is you've encouraged everyone else around you. And this is just simple, right? We know this. Would you rather be around somebody that's encouraging or somebody that is deprecating, somebody that's condescending, somebody that's berating? There's, it's not even a question. Someone who encourages you despite maybe your failure or maybe because of your failure and yet they keep encouraging you, that's someone you want around you because that's someone that can help you on your journey. The opposite is not true. Somebody who is condescending, who berates, who belittles, that's not the person that we want to have around us. That's not the person that we want helping us because that's not the person that brings us to where we want to go. That's not the person that helps us mature. That's the person that crushes us. What comes out of your mouth? What comes out of my mouth? Do praise and love and encouragement kind of come out of my mouth? Am I doing what God has called me to do? Or do anger and jealousy and malice come out of my mouth? Am I submitting to myself or am I submitting to the Holy Spirit? May each of us keep close guard on our mouths because as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So let me just say this, is if you, if you have a problem running others down, if you have a problem where you can't build others up, where if somebody says something nice about somebody else, you have to say something negative so that you feel better about yourself, you have a heart issue. And you need to get on your knees before God and you need to repent of that. If we viewed everyone in the world, this goes back to the partiality section in the beginning of, uh, the end of chapter one, oh, sorry, beginning of chapter two of James, is if we see everyone as a child, as a daughter or a son of the king, we will only want to treat them with love and affection and kindness. And that's what we should do. And if we find it difficult, and I've found it at times difficult, you know, when I get scored on by the, the cocky young kid and, and he does some overly elab, elab, elaborate, that's a hard word to say, elaborate celebration, do I get angry at him? Why? Because he's a good hockey player who scored on me? That should affect me for no more than that time that it just happened. It shouldn't place any value in me because I know I'm going to go home to a wife and a son who love me dearly and don't care whether I let in one goal or zero goals or a hundred goals. Because that's not where my value is, that's not where my identity is. Does your heart need a change this morning? Let me, let me just close as we pray together 
for this, and it's just been a privilege for me to be able to be with you uh, for these last two weeks, and I, I hope it was somewhat encouraging to you. Let's pray. God, each of us, each of us needs constant change in our heart. We need to submit more and more to the Spirit and less and less to our sinful nature. God, if there are those who are having a hard time controlling their tongue, would they understand that the issue comes down into their hearts and they need a heart change? Would you convict them? Would they realize their need to repent and would they realize their need to submit to the Holy Spirit? God, would Christians, would, would all of us as Christians be known as people who build up, encourage, who are kind, who are loving, and who speak truth in love? God, we just pray that you would give us the strength to do these things and to be those types of people. We love you. We're so grateful for all that you're doing in our lives right now. Amen. Well, I got less than a minute left on my timer here. Um, it's been a privilege to kind of be with you even in this, uh, in this virtual way. Uh, I hope that one day I can, me and Sean can maybe switch uh, pulpits one day when, when things are a little more back to normal and, and we can uh, get to know each other a little better and stuff. It's just been a privilege to, to be able to share the word with you. Uh, and I hope you all have a wonderful week and, and a good rest of the summer. God bless.